Welcome back, my fellow door openers, um, to another wonderful episode of the Doors of the Universe podcast. Um, I feel like it has been a little while. I always feel like it's been a little while. I miss you when I'm gone. Where'd you go? Why haven't you been around? Well, the truth is I haven't been around, but I'm here now. I am coming off the end of a five-day um, little staycation. Um, which has been a nice refresher for me mentally, physically, um, got to do a lot of things I've been wanting to do for a while, but my schedule has made it questionable how I would go about doing certain things, scheduling things. Either way, I've had a great five days off. Um, so I'm here now refreshed and ready to do this podcast with you. Um, I hope you are. As excited as I am for today's topic. So this topic is a little bit off our normal stream of, I don't know, normal flow of topics for this podcast. We usually focus on the strange, the unusual, um, which this would actually, I remember for once... I remember where this topic came to me from. Not the exact location, but somewhere. So the reel pops up on Instagram. It has a picture of a very large Viking. And I figure, why not? Let's see what this is all about. So the video says this person was... I believe the video said the person was like over 10 feet tall. And the... Upon doing research, I found he was somewhere between probably 7 foot and 10 foot. Um, either way, abnormally large. And definitely forced to be reckoned with as a Viking. Um, but yeah, I just... Uh, this definitely... This doesn't necessarily go along with our normal cryptid or aliens or what we've done so far. It's mainly been cryptids and aliens. But um, it doesn't necessarily fit what I had described the podcast as cryptids, conspiracies, and all things strange. I guess a 7 to 10 foot Viking, I'm going to count that as strange. That's not the norm. Um, so either way, let's just uh, let's get into it. Um, today's topic is on Harold Hadrada. Um, he was a, a Viking, um, and some, well, every resource I've gone to has said he was the last real Viking. Um, and let me start off by saying there are a lot of words and names from the Netherlands in this episode. Um, I promise I'm doing my best. Some overlapping family names will make it more confusing, um, but I'll do my best to explain there too when there's the overlaps and whatnot. Um, yeah, but Harold, Harold Hadrada, um, he was born Harold Sigurorsen in Wingerica, Norway, in 1015 or possibly 1016. Uh, his mother was. Asta Gudbrandstatter. She was um, the mother of two kings, Olaf II of Norway and Harold III of Norway. Um, his father was Sigurd Seer Asta's, and this was Asta's second husband. Um, Sigurd was a petty king of Ringerike, a just for clarification, a petty kingdom is a kingdom described as minor or petty by contrast to an empire or unified kingdom that either preceded or succeeded it. And he was also among the strongest and wealthiest chieftains in the Uplands. Um, the Uplands is an ancient name for the agricultural lands and forest regions to the north of Oslo in Norway. A young Harold displayed traits of a typical rebel with big ambitions and admired Olaf as his role model. 
unlike his two other half-brothers who followed more in their father's footsteps being down to earth and mainly concerned with maintaining the farm. So the Icelandic sagas by Snorri Sturluson in Heimskringla claim that Sigurd, the, uh, like Olaf's father, was a great-grandson of King Harald Fairhair in the male line. Um, if you're unfamiliar with sagas, as I slightly was, it's what I thought it was, but not entirely what I thought it was. Either way, the sagas of Icelanders, also known as family sagas, are one of are one genre of Icelandic sagas. They are prose narratives mostly based on historical events that mostly take place in Iceland in the 9th, 10th, and early 11th centuries, during the so-called Saga Age. They were written in Old Icelandic, a western dialect of Old Norse, and they are best-known specimens of Icelandic literature. Um, following a revolt in 1028, Harald's brother Olaf was forced into exile until he returned to Norway in early 1030. At the young age of 15, upon hearing the news of Olaf's planned return, Harald gathered 600 men from the uplands to meet Olaf and his men upon their arrival in the east of Norway. After a friendly welcome, Olaf went on to gather an army and eventually fight in the Battle of Stiklestad on July 29th, 1030, in which Harald took part on his brother's side. Uh, mind you, at this time, like it said, Harald is 15 years old and his brother Olaf is roughly 30 years old. Um, the battle was part of an attempt to restore Olaf to the Norwegian throne, which had been captured by the Danish king, Knut the Great. The battle resulted in defeat for the brothers at the hands of the Norwegians who were loyal to Knut, and Olaf was killed while Harald was badly wounded. Harald was nonetheless remarked to have shown considerable military talent during the battle. After the defeat of the Battle of Stiklestad, Harald managed to escape with the aid of Ragnvald Brusesson, later Earl of Orkney, um, to a remote farm in eastern Norway. Um, his friend basically had to physically drag him off the battlefield and get him to safety. Um, he stayed there for some time to heal his wounds, and thereafter, possibly up to a month later, journeyed north over the mountains to Sweden. A year after the Battle of Stiklestad, Harald arrived in Kievan Rus, um, which is now modern-day Russia. He likely spent at least part of his time in the town of Storea Ladoga, arriving there in the first half of 1031. Harold and his men were welcomed by Grand Prince Yaroslav the Wise, whose wife, Ingigerd, Ingigerd, was a distant relative of Harold. Badly in need of military leaders, Yaroslav recognized the military potential in Harold and made him a captain of his forces. Harold's brother Olaf Haraldson had previously been exiled to Yaroslav following the revolt in 1028. Morkenskinna, an old Norse king saga relating the history of Norwegian kings from approximately 1027 to 1157, says that Yaroslav embraced Harald because he was the brother of Olaf. Harald took part in Yaroslav's campaign against the Poles in 1031. After a few years in Kievan Rus, Harald and his force of around 500 men moved south to Constantinople. Although the Fati Yarabak, um, Maybe pronounced correctly, maybe not. Um, but that is the Flati Yarbach is defined as the largest medieval manuscript produced in Iceland, and it is also a beautiful work of art. The Flati Yarbach maintains that Harold at first sought to keep his royal identity a secret, um, but most sources agree that Harold and his men's reputation was well known in the East at that time. Um, while the Varangian guard was primarily meant to function as the emperor's bodyguards, Harold was found fighting on nearly every front or every empire. Um, so the Varangian guard was made up of entirely Vikings um, who had been coming from the north and were looking to be paid to fight. Um, 
And the Varangian Guard basically had two units. Uh, one was a more elite unit that would protect, that were uh, the bodyguard for the Emperor. And then there was also the unit that went into the field to fight. Harold had joined the Varangian Guard that was going out fighting outside of the city. Um, Harold was found fighting on nearly every frontier of the Empire. Uh, he first saw action in campaigns against Arab pirates in the Mediterranean Sea, and then in inland towns in Asia Minor, Anatolia, that had supported the pirates. Uh, by this time, he had, according to Snorri Sturluson, a contemporary Icelandic historian, poet, and politician, became the leader over all the Varangians. Uh, by 1035, the Byzantines had pushed the Arabs out of Asia Minor to the east and southeast, and Harold took part in campaigns that went as far east as the Tigris River and Euphrates River in Mesopotamia, where according to a skald, a poet, um, whew, I'm not even going to, his last name's Arnorson. According to this skald, um, first of all, and if you don't know, a skald is a composer and reciter of poems honoring heroes and their deeds. Um, and I'm, I want a skald. What, who's going to tell my deeds? Who's going to tell, who's going to write poems honoring my life? And on that day, he ate not one, but two orders of Rudy's buffalo, vegan buffalo wings. And the city rejoiced unto him. Sounds good to me. I'll take it. Um, but yeah, give me a scald. Anyone want to be my scald? Um, I'm taking applications currently. Um, the scald said he had participated in the capture of 80 Arab strongholds, uh, a number which historians Sigfus Blondel and Benedict Benedix, that's a cool name, Benedict with a K, Benedicts with a K. Benedict Benedicts. I like it. Uh, see no particular reason to question that number. Um, although not holding independent command of an army, as the sagas imply, it is not unlikely that King Harold and the Varangians at times could have been sent off to capture a castle or town. Um, Harold is also reported in the sagas to have gone to Jerusalem and fought in battles in the area. Um, I did hear a person talking on a podcast about him going to Italy to fight. Um, and although the sagas place this, place the Jerusalem, um, travels after his expedition to Sicily, uh, historian Kelly DeVries has questioned that chronology. Whether his trip was of a military or peaceful nature would depend on whether it took place before or after the 1036 peace treaty between Michael IV and the Muslim Fatimid Caliph Ma'ad al-Mustansir Bala. I'm pretty sure I got that one all the way right. In reality, the Caliph's mother, originally a Byzantine Christian, since the Caliph was a minor, although it is considered unlikely to have been made before. Modern historians have speculated that Harold may have been in a party sent to escort pilgrims to Jerusalem, possibly including members of the imperial family. Following the peace agreement, as it was agreed that the Byzantines were allowed to repair the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, furthermore, this may in turn have presented Harold with opportunities to fight against bandits who preyed on Christian pilgrims. In 1038, Harold joined the Byzantines in their expedition to Sicily in George Maniake's attempt to reconquer the island. In 1041, when the Byzantine expedition to Sicily was over, a Lombard-Norman revolt erupted in southern Italy, and Harold led the Varangian Guard in multiple battles. Harold fought with the Catapan of Italy, Michael Docianos, with initial success, but the Normans, led by their former ally, William Ironarm, William Ironarm defeated the Byzantines in the Battle of Olivento in March and in the Battle of Monte Maggiore in May. After the defeat, Harold and the Varangian Guard were called back to Constantinople following Maniake's imprisonment by the Emperor 
on the onset of other more pressing issues. Harold and the Varangians were thereafter sent to fight in the southeastern European frontier in Bulgaria, where they arrived in late 1041. There he fought in the army of Emperor Michael IV in the Battle of Ostrovo of the 1041 campaign against the Bulgarian uprising led by Peter Dalin, which later gained Harold the nickname the Bulgar Burner. Bulgara Brunner by his scald. I'm still, still taking those scald applications. Harold was not affected by Maniaki's conflict with Emperor Michael IV and received honors and respect upon his return to Constantinople. In a Greek book written in the 1070s, the Strategicon of Kekamenos Araltes, i.e. Harold, is said to have won the favor of the emperor. The book says that the Byzantine emperor first appointed him Manglabites, possibly identified with the title Protos Pasterios, uh, which, is, which was one of the highest court dignities of the Middle Byzantine period. It was awarded to senior generals and provincial governors, as well as to foreign princes, a soldier of the Imperial Guard after the Sicilian campaign. Following the campaign against the Bulgarians, in which Harold again served with distinction, he received the rank, while at Masinopolis, of Spatharo Candidatos, identified by De Vries as a promotion to the possible to the possibly third highest Byzantine rank, but by Mikhail Bibikov as a lesser rank than Protos Pastarios that was ordinarily awarded to foreign allies to the emperor. The Strategicon indicates that the ranks awarded to Harold were rather low. Due to a scald, Harold had participated in 18 greater battles during his time in the service of the Byzantines. Harold's favor at the imperial court quickly declined after the death of Michael IV in December 1041, which was followed by conflicts between the new emperor, Michael V, Michael, Michael V, Michael V, and the powerful Empress Zoe. During this turmoil, Harold was arrested and imprisoned, but the sources disagree on the grounds of his arrest. According to the sagas, Harold was arrested for defrauding the emperor of his treasure, as well as for requesting marriage with an apparently fictional niece or granddaughter of Zoe called Maria. His suit supposedly being turned down by the empress because she wanted to marry Harold herself. William of Malmesbury states that Harold was arrested for defiling a noblewoman, while according to Saxo Grammaticus, he was imprisoned for murder. Few different, few different thoughts on here. Uh, I guess I mean, depends what you're telling everybody in the yard, what you're in for, as to what they'll say. But so during this time, Harold has somewhat become Zoe's personal bodyguard. Um, gotten to know her a little more personally. These are according to Viking reports. Um, and has been in a relationship with her, become a lover. And then things went sour. And, uh, yeah, this is where he has ended up in jail and is barely escaping Constantinople with his life. Um, DeVries suggests that the new emperor may have feared Harold because of his loyalty to the previous emperor. The sources also disagree on how Harold got out of prison, though. But he may have been helped by someone outside to escape in the midst of the revolt that had begun against the new emperor. While some of the Varangians helped guard the emperor, Harold became the leader of the Varangians who supported the revolt. The emperor was in the end dragged out of his sanctuary, blinded, and exiled to a monastery, and the sagas claim that it was Harold himself who blinded Michael V, or at least claimed to have done so. Whew, it's a little, a little rough there for a minute. So Harold became extremely rich during his time in the East, and secured the wealth collected in Constantinople by shipments to Kievan Rus for safekeeping. Um... Yaroslav the Wise was acting as a safekeeper for his fortune. The sagas note that aside from the significant spoils of battle he had retained, he'd also participated three times in Palutusvarf, um, which loosely translate to palace plunder 
a term which implies either the pillaging of the palace ex exchequer, which is a royal or national treasury, on the death of the emperor, or perhaps the disbursement of funds to the Varangians by the new emperor in order to ensure their loyalty. It is likely that the money Harold made while serving in Constantinople allowed him to fund his claim for the crown of Norway. If he participated in Pelutusvarf three times, these occasions must have been the deaths of Romanos III, Michael IV, and Michael V, in which Harold would have opportunities beyond his legitimate revenues to carry off immense wealth. After Zoe had been restored to the throne in June of 1042, Together with Constantine IX, Harold requested to be allowed to return to Norway. Although Zoe refused to allow this, Harold managed to escape into the Bosphorus with two ships and some loyal followers. Fun fact about the Bosphorus, it's a natural strait and an internationally significant waterway located in Istanbul in northwestern Turkey that connects the Black Sea to the Sea of Marmara. It forms part of the continental boundary between Asia and Europe. It's the world's narrowest strait used for international navigation. Although the second ship was destroyed by the Byzantine cross-strait iron chains, Harold's ship sailed safely into the Black Sea after successfully maneuvering over the barrier. Despite this, Kikamenos lauds the loyalty and love Harold had for the Empire, which he reportedly maintained even after he returned to Norway and became king. Following his escape from Constantinople, Harold arrived back in Kievan Rus later in 1042. During his second stay there, he married Elizabeth, referred to in Scandinavian sources as Elisif, daughter of Yaroslav the Wise and granddaughter of the Swedish king Olaf Skotkanung. Shortly after Harold's arrival in Kiev, Yaroslav attacked Constantinople, and it is considered likely that Harold provided him with valuable information about the state of the empire. Now, if I remember correctly, Yaros, Harold initially had asked for the hand of Yaroslav's daughter in marriage, um, and he basically told him, you're not wealthy enough, you don't have a big enough, good enough name for yourself yet, so go make some money and come back, which is, this all happened before his time going to Constantinople. He had gone out, made the cheddar, came back, and was looking for the hand of marriage, uh, which he was granted at this point. So yeah, I'm wondering if partially why he was having Yaroslav keep all of his money was so that, hey, future dad, look at all this money I'm making. I'm bringing it in. I'm doing what you asked. Uh, but it is significant that Harold was allowed to marry the daughter of Yaroslav, um, since his other children were married to figures such as Henry I of France, Andrew I of Hungary, and the daughter of Constantine IX. So, let's get back to Scandinavia. Uh, seeking to regain for himself the kingdom lost by his half-brother Olaf Haraldsson, Harold began his journey westwards in early 1045. He began in when he arrived in Sweden at the end of 1045 or in early 1046, according to the Skald, first of all, let's just say um, Harold loved Skalds. He had a couple of them, and they uh, they were all, he loved to have a story told. I mean, who who doesn't want that? Who This is, I'm doing all these things. Remember me, tell my story. Um, according to Skald, T-J-O-D-O-L-V Arnorsen. His ship was unbalanced by its heavy load of gold. This is an issue I hope to have one day. Um, in Harold's absence, the throne of Norway had been restored to Magnus the Good, an illegitimate son of Olaf. Since Knut the Great's son had chosen to abandon Norway and instead fight over England, and his sons and successors, Harold Harefoot and Horathicanut had died young, Magnus's position as king had been secured. No domestic threats or insurrections are recorded to have occurred during his 11-year reign. After the death of Horathicanut, which had left the Danish throne vacant, Magnus had, in addition, been selected to be the king of Denmark and managed to defeat the Danish royal pretender Swain Estridsson. 
Having heard of Swain's defeat by Magnus, Harold met up with his fellow exile in Sweden, who was also his nephew, as well as the Swedish king, Anud Jacob. And the three joined forces against Magnus. They began by invading the Danish coast. By doing so, it would impress the natives, demonstrating that Magnus offered them no protection, and in the end, leading them to submit to Harold and Swine. Magnus heard about this and realized their next target would be Norway. The people were unwilling to turn against Magnus, and on hearing the news of Harold's schemes, Magnus, abroad at the time, went home to Norway with his entire army. Instead of going to war, Magnus' advisors recommend the young king not fight his uncle, and a compromise was reached in 1046 in which Harold would rule Norway, not Denmark, jointly with Magnus, although Magnus would have precedence. Notably, Harold also had to agree to share half of his wealth with Magnus, who at the time was effectively bankrupt and badly in need of funds. During their short co-rule, Harold and Magnus had separate courts and kept to themselves, and their only recorded meetings nearly ended in physical clashes. Ah, family. In 1047, Magnus and Harold went to Denmark with their leading forces. Later that year, in Jylland, less than a year into their co-rule, Magnus died without an heir. One thing I did notice and heard, <laughs> I did see in here, um... And notice was the youth, not the youth, I guess the youngness of people dying. I mean, you've got Harold's brother who's dead at 30 in battle. Harold's fighting in a battle at 15. Um, so when Magnus the Good died, he was only 23 years old. Um, <laughs> which is crazy. Just it's Well, first of all, being king at 23 of two countries and also just being dead at 23 and the way he died was varied it was either in an accident or of disease accounts vary on this some reports include falling overboard from one of the ships he was mustering to invade england and drowning um one says he was falling off a horse and another says falling ill while on board a ship I think somebody might have gave him a little push. Um, before his death, he decided that Swine was to inherit Denmark and Harold to inherit Norway. Um, on hearing the news of Magnus' death, Harold quickly gathered the local leaders in Norway and declared himself king of Norway, as well as of Denmark. And here we see a slow turn as Harold enters his villain era. Although Magnus had appointed Swine his successor as king of Denmark, Harold immediately announced his plans to gather an army and oust his former ally from the country. In response, the army and the chieftains, headed by Einar Thambarskelfer, opposed any plans of invading Denmark. Although Harold himself objected to bringing the body of Magnus back to Norway, the Norwegian army prepared to transport his body to Nidaros, now Trondheim, where they buried him next to St. Olaf in late 1047. Under Harold's rule, Norway introduced a royal monopoly on the minting of coins. The coins minted under Harold's rule appear to have been accepted as a commonly used currency as opposed to continued use of primarily foreign minted coins. Minting of coins likely provided a substantial part of Harold's annual revenues. Minting of coinage collapsed in Norway in the late 14th century. So that is one positive thing that uh, Harold did. Gave, uh, well, he had a local, localized, I guess, um, more national coinage as opposed to using other foreign minted coins. While his first proposal to invade Denmark fell through, the next year Harold embarked on what would turn into constant warfare against Swine. From 1048 until almost yearly until 1064. So I was listening to a podcast talking about how basically every winter they would go to war with each other. So this was a constant thing for 16 years. Just go to war, go home. Come back next winter. I'll see you next winter. Uh, similar to his campaigns 
than together with swine. Against Magnus's rule in Denmark, most of his campaigns against swine consisted of swift and violent raids on the Danish coast. In 1048, he plundered Jutland, and in 1049, he pillaged and burned Hedby. At the time, the most important Danish trade center, and one of the best protected and most populous towns in Scandinavia, hereby as a civil town, never recovered from Harold's destruction and was left completely desolate when what remained was looted by Slavic tribes in 1066. One of two conventional battles was set to be fought between the two kings later the same year, but according to Saxo Grammaticus, Swine's smaller army was so frightened when they approached by the Norwegians that they chose to jump in the water trying to escape, most drowned. Although Harold was victorious in most of the engagements, he was never successful in occupying Denmark. The second more significant battle, a naval encounter, was the Battle of Nisa on August 9, 1062. As Harold had not been able to conquer Denmark despite his raids, he wanted to win a decisive victory over Swine. He eventually set out from Norway with a great army and a fleet of around 300 ships. Swine had also prepared for the battle, which had been pre-assigned a time and a place. Swine did not appear at the agreed time, and Harold thus sent home his non-professional soldiers, which had made up half of his forces. When he des- <laughs> Well, boys, it doesn't look like he's showing up. Time to go home. Uh, when the dismissed ships were out of reach, Swine's fleet finally appeared. Possibly also with 300 ships, the battle resulted in a great bloodshed as Harold defeated the Danes. 70 Danish ships were reportedly left empty, but many ships and men managed to escape, including Swine. Fatigue and the huge costs of the indecisive battles eventually led Harold to seek peace with Swine, and in 1064 or 1065, according to Morkenskinna, the two kings agreed on an unconditional peace agreement. By the agreement, they retained their respective kingdoms with the former boundaries, and there would be no payments of reparations. Sixteen years of war and fighting just to end in the peace agreement. A great example of how many issues arise from ego not being in check. Uh, that just blows my mind. All these people dying. All these things. Just so, and this thing, like, it was, it was, mm, he never even got, uh, Denmark, like, he never was able to occupy Denmark, so 16 years and how many people dying, just so they could come to an agreement where there would be, they keep exactly what they had prior, and there would be no payments of reparations, it's like, Gotta love war. Um, in the winter of 1065, Harold traveled through his realm and accused the farmers of withholding taxes from him. In response, he acted with brutality and had people maimed and killed as a warning to those who disobeyed him. Harold maintained control of his nation through the use of his herd. H-I-R-D. A private standing army maintained by Norwegian lords. By definition, a herd is a Scandinavian in Scandinavian history was originally an informal retinue. A retinue is a body of persons retained in the service of what a noble royal personage or dignitary of retainers um, of personal armed companions, herdmen or housecarls. Over time, it came to mean not only the nucleus of the royal army, but also a more formal royal court household. Harold's contribution to the strengthening of Norway's monarchy was the enforcement of a policy that only the king could retain a herd. herd. Thus centralizing power away from the local warlords. So we have what sounds to me like a moving of power away from the state and into the federal. That's no way to run a country. According to the historian Knut Hell, Knut Hell, Harold completed the first phase of what he termed the National Territorial Unification of Norway. Having, a force, having forced his way to the kingship, Harold would have to convince the aristocracy that he was the right person to rule Norway alone. To establish domestic alliances, he married Tora Torberg's daughter, one of the most powerful Norwegian families. The primary opposition to Harold's rule would be the descendants of Hakon Sigurdsson, 
from the powerful dynasty of Earls of Lade. Earls of Laud, Laid. So also a big thank you to uh, Forvo.com, F-O-R-V-O.com, which has been pronouncing a majority of my Danish, Swedish, Norwegian words. Um, and I just came across... <laughs> I'm going to say it how they say it. It's Earls of L-A-D-E, Earls of Lil. Um, so yeah, that does not look right to me. Um, but from the powerful dynasty of Earls of Lil, who had controlled Northern Norway and Trodelag, uh, with much autonomy under the Norwegian king. Hakon had even ruled the whole of Norway, nominally under the Danish king from 975 until 995, when he was killed during the takeover by Olaf Tryggvason. Even after Hakon's death, his offspring held a certain degree of sovereignty in the north, and by Harald's early reign, the family was headed by Einar Thambarskelf, Thambarskelfer, who was married to Hakon's daughter. While the family had maintained good relations with Magnus, Harald's absolutism and consolidation of the kingship soon led to conflict with Einar. It was from his power struggle with the Norwegian aristocracy that Harald got himself the reputation that gave him the nickname Hardrada, or the Hard Ruler. Although the relationship between Harald and Einar was poor from the start, confrontation did not occur before Harald went north to his court in Nidaros. One time in Nidaros, Einar arrived at Harald's court, and in a display of power was accompanied by eight or nine longships and almost 500 men, obviously seeking confrontation. Harald was not provoked by the incident. Although the sources differ on the circumstances, the next event nonetheless led to the murder of Einar by Harald's men, which threatened to throw Norway into a state of civil war. Although the remaining descendants of Hakon, Sigurdsson, considered rebellion against the king, Harald eventually managed to negotiate peace with them and secured the family submission for the remainder of his reign. By the death of Einar and his son around 1050, the Earls of Lael played their role as base of opposition and Trondleg was definitely subordinated to Harald's national kingdom. Before the Battle of Nyssa, Harald had been joined by Hakon Iverson, who distinguished himself in the battle and gained Harald's favor. Harald reportedly even considered giving Hakon the title of Earl, and Hakon was greatly upset when Harald later backed down from his promise. With a stronghold over the uplands, Hakon was additionally given the earldom of Varmland by the Swedish king Stinkel. <laughs> Stinkel is Einar. Einar is Stinkel. No. In early... 1064, Hakon entered the uplands and collected their taxes. The region thus effectively threatened to renounce their loyalty to Harald in response. The revolt of Hakon and the farmers in the uplands may have been the main reason why Harald finally had been willing to enter a peace agreement with Swine Estridsen. After the agreement, Harald went to Oslo and sent tax collectors to the uplands, only to find the farmers would withhold their taxes until Hakon arrived. In response, Harald entered Sweden with an army and quickly defeated Hakon. Still facing opposition from the farmers, Harald embarked on a campaign to crush the areas that had withheld their taxes. Due to the remote location of the region in the interior of the country, the uplands had never been an integrated part of the Norwegian king's realm. Using harsh measures, Harald burned down farms and small villages and had people maimed and killed. Starting in Rome, Rike, his campaign continued into Hedmark, Hadeland, Hadeland, and Ringrika. Since the regions contained several rich rural communities, rural, since the regions contained several rich rural communities, Harold strengthened his economic position by confiscating farming estates. By the end of 1065, there was probably peace in Norway, as any opposition had either been killed, chased into exile, or silenced. Way to go, way to rule with an iron fist. Harold's reign was marked by his background as a military commander, as he often solved disputes with brute force. While the sagas largely focus on Harold's war with Svein and the invasion of England, little is said about his domestic policies. 
Modern historians have taken this as a sign that despite his absolutism, his reign was one of peace and progress for Norway. Harold is considered to have instituted a good economic policies as he developed a Norwegian currency and a viable coin economy, which in turn allowed Norway to participate in international trade. He initiated trade with Kievan Rus and the Byzantine Empire through his connections, as well as Scotland and Ireland. According to the later sagas, Harold founded Oslo, where he spent much time. Harold also continued to advance Christianity in Norway, and archaeological excavations show the churches were built and improved during this reign. Once he returned to Norway, Harold seemed to have displayed an interest in exploring his own realm, as for instance, the Mork. The Mork and Skinner recounts Harold's trip to the uplands. Harold's also said to have explored the seas beyond his kingdom. Um... So accepting that he could not conquer Denmark, Harold switched attention to England. His claim was based on a 1030 agreement between Magnus and its previous ruler, Harthacnut, who died childless in 1042. The agreement stated that if either die, the other would inherit his lands. However, it was unlikely Magnus assumed he would gain the English throne without fighting. After Magnus died in 1047, Harold took over his claim. However... Edward kept potential enemies happy by hinting they might succeed him in addition to Harold. These included Swine and William, Duke of Normandy. In 1058, a fleet under Harold's son Magnus supported a large-scale Welsh raid into England, although details are limited. This may have shown Harold that he could not simultaneously fight Denmark and England. This became crucial when Edward died in January 1066 and Harold Godwinson was proclaimed King of England. Harold's brother, Tostig Godwinson, formerly Earl of Northumbria, now appeared on the scene. Hoping to regain his title and lands, he reportedly approached both William and Swine Estridson for their support. However, since northern England was the most suitable landing place for a Norwegian invasion, he was more valuable. He was more valuable to Harold. In March of April 1066, Harold began assembling his fleet at Soland in Sognefjord, a process completed by the start of September of 1066. It includes his flagship, Orman or Serpent. Before leaving Norway, he had Magnus proclaimed king of Norway and left Tora behind, taking with him Elisiv his daughters, and Olaf. En route, he stopped at the Norwegian-held islands of Shetland and Orkney, where he collected additional troops, including Paul and Erlen Thorfinsen, the Earls of Orkney. At Dunfermline, he met Tostig's ally, Malcolm III of Scotland, who gave him around 2,000 Scottish soldiers. Most sources suggest Tostig and Harold grouped up at Tynemouth on September 8th, Harold bringing around 10 to 15,000 men on 240 to 300 longships. Tostig only <laughs> Tostig had only 12 ships, his connections being far more significant. The chronicler John of Worcester suggests he left Flanders in May or June, riding the heartland of Harold's estates in southern England from the Isle of Wight to Sandwich. Having <laughs> this is made up. These this these aren't real places. Not just kidding. Having made it seem an attack from Normandy was imminent, he then sailed north while his brother and most of his troops remained in the south, waiting for William. After embarking from Tynemouth, Harold and Tostig proudly landed at the River Tees. They then entered Cleveland and started plundering the coast. They encountered the first resistance at Scarborough, where Harold's demand for surrender was opposed. In the end, Harold resorted to burning down the town and this action led to other Northumbrian towns surrendering to him. After further raiding, Harold and Tostig sailed up the Humber, disembarking at Recall on September 20th. News of the early raids had reached the Earls Murkar of Northumbria and Edwin of Mercia, and they fought against Harold's invading army two miles south of York at the Battle of Fulford, also on September 20th. The battle was a decisive victory for Harold and Tostig, and led York to surrender their forces on September 24th. Slight spoiler alert, this would be the last time a Scandinavian army 
defeated English forces. The same day as York surrendered to Harold and Tostig, Harold Godwinson arrived with his army and Tadcaster just seven miles from the anchored Norwegian fleet at Rickall. From there, he probably scouted the Norwegian fleet, preparing a surprise attack. As Harold had no forces in York, Harold Godwinson marched right through the town to Stamford Bridge. Which brings us to the Battle of Stamford Bridge. Early on September 25th, Harold and Tostig departed their landing place at Recall with most of their forces, but left a third of their forces behind. They brought only light armor, as they expected to just meet the citizens of York, as they had agreed the day before at Stamford Bridge, to decide on who should manage the town under Harold. Once there, Harold saw Godwinson's forces approaching, heavily armed and armored, and greatly outnumbering Harold's. The sudden appearance of the English army caught the Norwegians by surprise. The English advance was then delayed by the need to pass through the choke point presented by the bridge itself. The Anglo-Saxon Chronicle has it that a giant Norse axeman, possibly armed with a Dane axe, blocked the narrow crossing and single-handedly held up the entire English army. The story is that this axeman cut down up to 40 Englishmen and was defeated only when an English soldier floated under the bridge in a half-barrel and thrust his spear through the planks in the bridge, mortally wounding the axeman. Um... But by him doing this, it allowed Harold and Tostig to regroup in a shield wall for me. 40 men with an axe. I mean, that's, that's tough. By the Norse axemen doing that, it allowed Harold and Tostig to regroup into a shield wall formation. Harold's army was in the end heavily beaten. Harold was struck in the throat by an arrow and killed early in battle in a state of berserkergang having worn no body armor and fought aggressively with both hands around his sword. When the battle was almost over, some reserve forces from a cod led by Einstein Orr finally appeared, but they were exhausted as they had run all the way. Einstein picked up Harold's fallen banner, the Land Waster, and initiated a final counterattack. Although they, for a moment, appeared to almost breach the English line, Einstein was suddenly killed, which left the rest of the men to flee from the battlefield. Among those left at Recall after the battle, who were allowed to return home peacefully by the English forces, was Harold's son, Olaf. Although sources state that Harold's remaining army only filled 20 to 25 ships on the return to Norway, it is likely that this number only accounts for the Norwegian forces. Most of the forces from Scotland or Orkney probably remained at Recall throughout the battle. And so here ends the life of Harold Hadrada, dying in battle and going to Valhalla. But it also ends the age of Vikings. So there you have it. That is the story of Harold Hadrada, the last Viking king. Um, again, pretty pretty. Pretty crazy life, pretty interesting life there. Um, you know, I just, everybody assumes looking at me, I'm into Vikings. And Vikings are my thing, and I'm a Viking. Um, you know, it was actually really fun, like, reading more and learning more about Harold Hadrada. Um, Hagar the Horrible was uh, probably the main extent of my Viking knowledge. Um, I don't know if most of you are probably too, most people are probably too young or don't even, if you're old enough, don't remember Hagar the Horrible. Um, but in reality, I'm just, I'm not that well versed on the Vikings or the Viking culture. I never watched the TV show Vikings. Um, closest I got was my horn helm and skyrim as far as in depth but no this was uh this was a really interesting look at the the life of and times of battling to get land um it was interesting to me how young everybody was dying um um harold actually had a surprisingly long life compared to most of the people in this episode he lived to be 50 or 51 um, because we're unsure of his birth year. 
just all the twists and turns of power and going against your own family to try and take land. Um, yeah, it's just, I'm, I'm glad it was like, you should have been born in the, in the age of gladiators and Vikings. You would have been a God. And I'm like, no, I would have, uh, yeah, who knows? I guess uh, it would have depend on how my life was at that point. And it was, Everything's dependent on how all the interactions we have up to this point. So in that time, yeah, maybe I would have been. But either way, that's all I've got. That is the story of Harold Jadrata and the end of the era of Viking kings. Um, which in and of itself is kind of cool that the kings were, there were Viking kings. That was something I wasn't very familiar with either. This whole era is unknown to me outside of Monty Python search for the Holy Grail. Um, no. What do you think? This is definitely not in our normal line of episodes. This is something new. Um, honestly, I don't see this popping up a lot, doing little biographies of people's lives from... Yeah, what'd you think? Did you enjoy it? It was a nice uh, little change of topics um like i said i enjoyed doing the research i always enjoy doing the research every time you can learn something more about something anytime i can learn something more about something i consider interesting i'm always down to do the research and learn more about them um a lot of this was wikipedia um there are other pages <laughs> that have um information on Harold Hadrada, but honestly, most of them are three to four paragraphs. Um, Wikipedia gave me about 13. Well, I've got 14 pages total here of notes, but yeah, you can definitely research it more. It seems like some of the podcasts did a better job than most of the websites I went on. Uh, the history of Vikings podcast, Harold Hadrada, the last Viking was the episode that I got a lot of information from. It's not a super long episode, but it was actually very informative. Someone had, had written a book. An interview with Don Holloway, a historian, illustrator, and historical reenactor, and classical rapier fencer. He was the author of The Last Viking, the true story of King Harold Hadrada. Um, yeah, definitely worth listening to, checking it out. We'll go ahead and wrap it up. Um, please, as always, check out the socials. Um, Linktree is going to be your access to everything. L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E backslash D-O-T podcast. As everywhere you can listen to the podcast, view the podcast. Um, please do like and follow. Um, it is helpful. It, especially on YouTube and Apple Podcasts, rating the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, enjoyed any of the other episodes, please give me a positive rating. Helps the podcast grow and helps it reach more people that are interested in the same things we are um but yeah if you have any feedback please i would love to hear it um reach me at dotupodcast at gmail.com or message me on instagram or you can leave a voice message at spotify for podcasters which i use to make this podcast but outside of that, I guess we'll end with keep an eye of the sky. And if you're battling on a bridge, watch out for floating Englishmen below you with spears. They will be your downfall. See y'all next time.